Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. We were just commiserating about <laughs> being fairly wrecked from a strength workout this morning. Yeah. Yeah. I just, just literally got back into my office and uh, every single muscle in my body is currently uh, kind of twitching slightly. <laughs> it's rough being in such incredible shape. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so I signed up for this app called Future, which I think I told you about, mm-hmm. um, which is remote personal training. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of skeptical that having a remote trainer would like change my behavior. But I just finished my third week and I've completed every workout. And I don't think I've ever stuck to like a workout plan for three weeks. <laughs> nice. But yeah. My uh, self-discipline and uh, patience and whatnot is usually too limited to stick with a thing, even when, I, even when it's going well. It's been enough to keep me on the on the wagon. Mm-hmm. Is it like you book time slots in advance and a live trainer comes on a video with you or what's it? What's the format? so it's not live. Um, it's async. So he like plots out a workout for me. Oh, nice. And then okay. I go and like there's you know, there's there's like a video demonstration of each thing and like you can record the reps and all that. And it's nice because I literally like, I, I go to the gym and hit play and it's like go get 30 pound dumbbells and then do these things. And it just like this audio cues the whole time telling you what to do. Um, that's pretty good. That's cool. But it's still kind of more, it's more catered specifically to you as opposed to just being a generic like workout program. That is the idea. Yes. So, I mean, there's uh, apparently a huge library of exercises and routines and whatnot that he can kind of throw in there. Mm-hmm. We had an initial kickoff call, which is like, what are you trying to do? Like, what do you, what do you want from this? And so ostensibly the plan is tailored for that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. And like, I'm, I do, I'm finding myself doing things that I normally wouldn't do. Like there's no, I didn't have, normally I work out in the evenings, but I don't really have time today. And so I like got up and like did a workout this morning before this. It's like, that's when I have to get it in. And that's not, that's not normally my style. Yeah. <laughs> how many, um, how many workouts per week are you on then? So it's strength training three times per week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then these like 10 minute kind of mobility and just sort of slight conditioning things um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I told him up front, I was like, I want to get in and out really fast. Like a key for me sticking to this is like the workouts got to have to be really quick. So even like the strength workouts are just 30 minutes with like no, almost no rest periods, just like moving between things constantly going. Yep. That's, that's kind of same, same thing that drew me to the, the gym that I'm at where they're like twice a week, 30 minutes. And I actually do a group group workout with my wife. So it's 45 minutes just to like, just to account for like a little bit of extra time since the trainer's splitting his time between the two of us. But otherwise it's like we generally breeze through within like 35 minutes or so. So it's, it's high impact, but, but extremely efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I think that's, that feels, that feels good to me. I don't, I don't really want to be in there for longer. I'm, I'm sort of counting the minutes the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to like, just like get this thing done. Just like have it, have it done. But yeah, it's just like, just the, it's just enough of him being like, Hey, like, all right, we got this thing today. Like, you know, make sure to do this and let me know how it goes. And just like just enough accountability where it's like, yeah, I'm going to do the thing, even though I don't really feel like it. Speaking of um, body stuff, I'm back to primarily operating on a standing desk, which I haven't been for, for a little while. Actually, basically for the past year, I haven't really had one because we moved into a, a smaller apartment and I didn't have a dedicated office. So I would just kind of work at the dining room table or or just kind of move around um, the space a little bit. And we just moved down the hall. So I have a, we have a two bedroom apartment now where I can dedicate one room to being an office. And I'm back on the, back on the standing desk game, which 
feels good. It's definitely been like an adjustment trying to get back into it. There are times where I'm like, I'm just like sore in different places. And I think that's just my body adapting as it needs to, to, to not sitting all the time. So I'm kind of looking to, to get over that hump, but it's been nice. Actually, we have these nice like anti-fatigue mats that I've had in the kitchen for a long time and I had like basically an extra one. So I've been standing on that and that's made a huge difference compared to the last time that I kind of was doing a lot of standing desk stuff. So, nice. Yeah. That's good. I, li- I like mixing it between the seated and standing during the day. Like at work, I'm, I'm sort of bouncing between those kind of constantly. And that's felt good to me. And at home, I actually, my desk, I, I don't actually have a chair in this office. So I just stand off the whole time. Yeah, I like that. Seems like a good default mode. I mean, I can, I think I will end up sta- sitting some of the time during the day. But like, honestly, if I can default to standing instead of default to sitting, that feels like a, an upgrade in the process. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I also just ordered a like stool chair, like a tall chair. Because mm-hmm. um, I, was, I was looking, I was like, okay, I should have some desk chair at home. And then I was like, wait a minute. If I just get a tall chair, then I don't need to move the desk up and down. I can just stay up, which is quite convenient. So I'm going to try that out and see how it goes. Yeah, they have different things. Like, So this desk is from a company called Foley. I want to give them a shout out because their their e-commerce game is very strong. I think they're sort of like a direct-to-consumer brand. But the upsell game is extremely good when you're when you're going through and buying one. They're like, okay, which which kind of top do you want? Oh, do you want it to be curved in the front? Okay, do you want do you want power in your desk so that you can plug things in right in the top? Oh, do you need a do you need a monitor stand? Like they just so many upsells that are like dialed in perfectly. I was jealous as a uh, <laughs> as someone who sells things on the internet of that process that they have um, yeah we bought some fully desks now the same experience yep <laughs> we, yeah. we came away with a bunch of extra accessories for sure yeah mad props to them but they sell like those these little chairs that are basically like a perch kind of thing that you can sort of lean on and i'm considering getting one of those but i'm not sure i haven't pulled the trigger yet because i don't know if i want like when i'm sitting do i want there to be some degree of back support or not i'm not really sure so we'll see i might experiment with that but yeah so uh there are two tuplers in the office this week two new ones yeah it's exciting that's pretty cool steven and matt our two newest employees are both in town for the most of the week it's been awesome um so we've been doing work stuff during the day of course um and like getting them onboarded and i've been steadily handing off a whole bunch of sales stuff to steven which has been great that feels really good the thing like clicked in my head where i was like oh we have to do this and he was like we and i was like you should do this <laughs> yeah and then i was just like let me what else what else is on my to-do list that it could just become a, a you thing and not a we thing or a me thing so that felt super good yeah i had the same bias when i started like working with Corey. i noticed myself doing this a couple times where i was like yeah we can we can work on this and i can i can do this thing like i was like giving myself tasks on the on whatever it was and i was like wait a second i actually don't i was like can you just do this and he's like oh totally yeah i can do that it's like oh <laughs> yes yeah, man. Uh, turns out there's a reason companies hire people. Um, it's useful. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm feeling like we're starting to get the pieces assembled for like a legit team. Like I, I think we're starting starting to turn the corner away from like super scrappy bootstrapper. Everyone wears many hats. You know, get things done with little resources. To yeah, but shouldn't someone own this who's really good and we have the revenues to support them? And that's feeling that's feeling really good to me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm excited to have the the sales stuff off my plate, but also to have it in someone that's you know competent and fired up to do it, and then free me up to do other things. And now I'm thinking like, what else is what else is there like mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you waited too long to start this process, or do you feel like you erred on the on the side of like waiting till it really hurt? 
I don't know. It's, I mean, it's hard to tell. Like, I'm not sure what the symptoms of waiting too long are. Maybe once I see what the end results are, I'll be like, oh, this would have been great to have a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's a fair answer. I mean, it's like, like we've talked about a lot of times, there's, there's trade-offs of adding people too. So we haven't had the benefits, but we have had the, the opposite direction benefit. <laughs> yeah. Words. Um, so yeah, so we've been doing a lot of cool stuff. So we like worked during the day, but then we went and like, we went to a Red Sox game the other night. That was nice. We went to a Omakasa sushi dinner. It's so nice to have a dinner where like you don't make any decisions. Uh, ideally, I just want, when I go to a restaurant, I just want the chef to tell me like, here's what you should have. This is best. And, yeah. You know, totally. I curated it for you. Oh, so it good. was really cool. I think there were like 16 seats or something in the whole place. And they're all like arranged around the chefs who like these two chefs are like just making stuff on the fly, like right in front of you. And it's like whatever they thought was super fresh and super delicious. And I also just love that it's like mostly one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like literally like here's like one small piece of fish on a little bit of rice with a little thing on top of it. Just like eat it in one bite. Bam. Done. All right. And then like it's like, oh, wow, that's super delicious. And then it's gone. And it's like, all right, wait two minutes and we'll give you another thing. Yeah. Let's you focus on what you just consumed so you can truly appreciate it. And someone's paying attention to the spacing that is optimal for like for having a good time and you don't get too full too fast. And it's just, you know, it's just perfect. I love it. It was. Yeah, it was, it was a wonderful experience. Yeah. It was super fun. Um, and then today we're going to go bowling, a little nice. lunch and bowl. <laughs> Very cool. Getting all that co- company culture building stuff in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was kind of the first priority, actually. The work stuff is all going to continue to happen after uh, we're distributed. But the like hanging out and talking and enjoying each other's company is harder to do. Yeah, that's so probably an optimal that. use of your time while you're in the same place because you can do mm. the work stuff async. But this stuff you really can't. Exactly. So yeah, I feel good about our, our ratio there. That seems good to me. Lots of lunches outside and whatnot. So it's been, it's been good. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'm digging it. Now that I'm starting to see this like, oh yeah, like it's great to have people in the right seats. I've been thinking about like, the rem- what, are, like what are the remaining fully open seats that, that Tuple just doesn't have right now? And like top of the list for me is like right now is designer actually. Mm, yep. Because um, there's a lot of little features we'd like to ship or a lot of little, little improvements where it's like, yeah, but it just requires a bit of a redesign of the screen. And it's like, who's going to do that? And it's like, eh, there's not a great answer. We, a bunch of us could kind of do it. Okay. Like do a decent ish job, but not in the way that someone that was, you know, really great at it would do. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I haven't, haven't fully talked this over uh, with anybody yet, but it's like, that's the thing that I'm feeling right now is like, as I'm, as my mind is already shifting towards product work, it's like, yeah, but like once I do lay out this thing or like set this goal or whatever, who's going to, who, who, who follows up over here? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's, that's on my mind. That makes sense to me. I mean, it feels like Tuple has, it gets, gets applauded for its elegant design compared to the experience of using tools like Zoom where there's just crap all over the screen, right? So like already it's something that attracts people to to your tool in the first place. And so it seems seems right to have somebody kind of owning and focusing on like how can we continue to, you know, maintain that even as we increase the scope of the application. Because that's that's always a central challenge as like things get more complex if you don't have someone who's really relentlessly focusing on uh, on making sure the the kind of surface area of it that comes in contact with users is like really, really tight, then companies tend to lose their way in that, in that direction. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's going to be an interesting challenge. Uh, and one that I would like some help on. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And who's going to implement dark mode for you? 
Ugh, probably nobody. We had dark mode. We removed it. I know. I know. We were just like, oh, we can't. Let's not design everything twice. I mean, I, I saw that you have some like answers to this and a, a, a seemingly good approach to it. But for us, it was like, this feels like not quite worth it right now. Yeah. No, I get it. When I started talking about that, it definitely drew some strong reactions from people. It's funny. I think I think a lot of people have been burned by by implementing dark mode. So we'll see if I live to regret it or not. But I think yeah, it's I'm fun. curious. <laughs> Very curious to hear how you feel about it in a few months from now. Yeah, I will report back for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, must be nice to be able to just do the design yourself, though. That's pretty cool. It does feel like a superpower that that can that I just don't have to worry about adding another piece to that like a handoff piece you know when building features and stuff which is kind of i'm trying to leverage to the extreme right now as much as i, I went to do something in savvy cal i was like oh like what availability do i have set for this particular link and then i was like it showed me the list of possible availabilities and i was like oh like what did i set this one to and there was like just like a handy little like edit or view more or details or whatever there's some some sort of go look at the availability detail page uh, link that was right where I wanted. I was like, oh, of course, it's right there. Good job. There. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah. Also, we have a pretty banging release in the pipeline right now. I asked Mikey to look into reducing our CPU usage. This is already something that people like about the app, uh, but why not have them like it more? Um, and some folks have reported in, in certain scenarios when like that like CPU usage, usage was like surprisingly high to them. Uh, so I was like, let's let's take a look at this and figure out what's going on. And Mikey kind of just went beast mode and like kind of rewrote our screen encoding pipeline, like capturing and encoding pipeline, uh, like replaced big swaths of it. And it turns out that like that version had just been written, you know, a long time ago before we knew as much as we knew today. So the fresh version did actually reduce CPU usage by a pretty good amount and also was just faster anyway. And so it reduced latency at the same time. There was just a bunch of work that we were doing that we didn't have to do and like copies we avoided and and things like that. And so it's like the new version actually kind of feels noticeably faster latency wise and uses less CPU. So nice. Moat digging, man. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It was like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to release this. It's over in QA right now. Um, hopefully no big blockers happen and we'll get it out early next week. But this is, this is exactly the kind of thing I love putting out that in the world. It's like, this is going to be very popular. All right. This will resonate with our customers. Is this kind of thing like risky? It sounds risky to like rewrite a major part of screen encoding. Like that is a very core central part. But like, how do you how do you assess like the risk of a of a big change like this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't really assess it. We do you know a fair amount of testing internally. We have a QA um, outsourced QA uh, provider that bangs on it quite a bit. And inevitably, with these like major surgeries, there's we do a point release, you know, a few days after the initial release because like some stuff just comes up. So I, I imagine there'll be some things like, oh, if somebody has this particular setup with this GPU over in this thing, uh, it gets there'll be some surprises, I think. But it's kind of just the cost of forward progress. It feels like to me, it's important that we not like break tuple for people, but I also don't want to, you know, constrain innovation too much. And say like it has to be every release has to be perfect. We have to work out all the bugs every time because uh, that would be a, little, a bit stifling. So this it's about finding the the happy medium. Like we're we're not Stripe, we're not charging credit cards and moving money around. So it's the correctness requirements are not as high as it could be in some companies. It is a tool that people use for work. So when it 
breaks and is just like that's disruptive in a in a in a pretty unfortunate way so i wouldn't say it's the same as like a crud app but somewhere in the somewhere in that spectrum yeah yeah that makes sense i mean it seems like you could like a company that doesn't have a good handle on how how important their reliability is could end up just getting mired in like uh, we we're, we're making this big change and now we have to test it in you know a thousand different permutations of operating systems to make sure it doesn't break and like could potentially slow you down a bunch. So, but I think that's a right and that's the right approach to like say like well, we're going to make our best effort and then you know something goes wrong we'll fix it but not let that slow you down too much. Over the long term, we do want to get like a beta channel going or like this is this is the thing I would like us to do uh, because the point releases are. Unfortunate. You don't want to like ship a release and then immediately have to fix a you know a number of bugs. Ideally, we would have we would like at least get you know a hundred people using it or something to flesh out the the eighty twenty of the, oh we didn't no one had this particular setup but you know one of you know five of our hundred users did um, and pre- and prevent that from going to everybody. That would be nice. I think that's sort of a future, not a huge lift to do. Hopefully, um, complexity wise, but I think would kind of would get bring a lot of the benefit without too much. Too much struggle. But yeah, faster tuple. Very exciting. Faster and more efficient. I love like doubling down on the value prop. That feels so good to me. It's like, like it's like, oh no, there's not any features, but like the existing things that you like about it, it has more of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That feels, that feels great. Yep. So what's up with you? Um, yeah, so it was a launch week, pushing the marketing engine towards a, um, a product hunt launch for our iCloud integration. So that's been kind of, that was on the list of things to do. Actually, we planned to do this for the Outlook integration when we launched that, but I just sort of sort of dragged my feet on doing my side of the tasks on that on that launch. And then before I knew it, it was like months after we shipped it. And I was like, eh, I don't really, I don't really feel like this one's gonna be that impactful. But iCloud by comparison was like legitimately like the top requested feature. Like I had 80 people plus on a list that had requested it over time and so and I knew there were just tons of people waiting like I, I can't use it until I can hook up this this calendar like it's a key part of my workflow so I uh, felt like a good candidate to to experiment again with like making a splash on product hunt and kind of see what see what the reverberating effects from that were and so we did that I was I was impressed to see that it was like oh yeah suddenly savvy Cal is all over Twitter today yep Yep. And I was like, ah, oh, we got, I was like, we need to hire a marketing person. <laughs> yeah. I like I could see how this would be good for a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did it go by the way? Um, it went pretty good. I think, yeah, we got, we were number four of the day, which I'm happy with, you know, it's like, it's a feature launch. I'm, you never expect it to be like the same level of splash as the like initial launch of a product. So so this was very much like my expectations were much lower than I wasn't expecting to get thousands of um, of upvotes and stuff. But it's interesting because the actual traffic from Product Hunt itself is de- is like not not that much. Like I think we got like a thousand uniques or something from from the website, and not like a ton of immediate signups. But I'm already seeing like through today like an in- just overall increased kind of registrations and trial signups and things trickling through. So I think it's going to be sort of a more of a gradual kind of a big wave of awareness came over a bunch of channels, you know, and, and when you're, when you're featured on this, then like, you know, product hunt will tweet, they like, it was cool. They tweeted a specific thing about savvy Cal to their half million person follower account and like took my demo video and like embedded it directly in the tweet as a video. So like that was really cool to see. And I think that's driving just, you know, awareness that will eventually kind of 
help increase signups over time. So I kind of see this as like, uh, like what, on the one hand, something that's extremely difficult to measure, like what was the impact of that? But I also look back at, you know, our initial product hunt launch and there was, you know, hundreds and hundreds of new customers that month. But then from that point forward, just kind of a new a new basis level of signups and trials coming through. Like it was just a major inflection point. And so it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, assess over the next month or two and see if like did this change did this change the slope slightly of um, of the curve. Because um, that's kind of what I'm looking for right now. It's like, you know, on the one hand, it's like it would be nice to have one one traffic source where I can just like pour investment, whether it's money or time or, you know, hiring, you know, freelancers or whatever it would take to like invest into a channel. It'd be nice if I knew there was like one that was scalable, repeatable, and we could just continue to to feed. But so far it's been just sort of a, a mix of things. And it's kind of on the one hand nice to be diversified, where it's like there's no one channel that'll just kind of sink the business if it if it goes away. Yeah. So so I just see this as kind of like it's it's just one more investment into kind of the uh, making a little a little splash uh, and getting it in front of people who, who maybe haven't seen it before seems solid. It's like just maybe it's not a huge thing. Maybe it doesn't bend the curve substantially, but it's the like you know put, putting the reps in, getting the workouts in of doing consistent marketing work to expose more people to the the product. Yeah, I think that's what I think that's what a lot of this game is. It's like. You know, a lot of no one thing generally is going to like, oh, my gosh, that sent 10,000 customers. You know, it's like most things are just slightly, slightly incremental things. But in, in total, they kind of kind of add up to just steady organic growth, which is really what I'm going for. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I like how Rob refers to this as blocking and tackling. Where it's like it's not super, you know, exotic or glamorous. It's just kind of doing the work uh, each week that slowly, you know, makes makes the difference. Slowly moves things forward. Yep. Yep. It was fun. I, I um, was a guest on the Upside podcast with Jay Klaus, and we recorded that like a month and a half ago. And a lot of times these guest podcasts you're on, like they drop a little while later. So I'd kind of forgotten this one was supposed to drop at the end of August and turns it and it would like released, I think two days ago. And so that was cool. I started to see like we have this this activity channel in Slack where we just sort of pipe in anytime someone completes onboarding, we ask the question of where did you hear about us? And and then that answer just gets populated in there. So we can just sort of like, I have notifications turned off in this channel, but I just periodically go through and peruse it and kind of get like a qualitative sense on, on uh, read on where people are coming from. And like started to see a, a nice spike in like mentions to this podcast. And I was like, oh, I know we sponsored that one like a, a few months back. And then, and then I realized like, oh no, this is the, like the guest appearance. And so that was cool. Like sort of unexpected but just one of the little things I invested in and and now it's like oh now it's here and it's driving traffic. Nice. Awesome. Did you get more signups from guesting than you did from sponsoring? For sure. Yeah. Well, it's it's early to tell because, you know, it just the, the episode just dropped, but again, like podcast sponsorship is a hard one to gauge too because like you have a coupon code people can use and I think a lot of people don't end up actually using that. So then we're just kind of relying on people telling us that they heard about us from a podcast ad. So it's tough to say, but I do think in general, like the times I've guested, like this one, um, seemed to have a, a bigger impact than when I knew like the ads went live. I didn't really see quite the same spike. So, which makes sense because it's just me talking for forty five minutes to these guys the whole the whole episode. So, yeah, yeah, not super surprising. Yep, yep. You sponsored some podcasts a while ago. 
are you still doing any of that? Are you are you doing any paid acquisition currently? Our initial investment, I think, is kind of done with all the podcasts that we sponsored. We did end up doing, I think, three. Um, and yeah, results I would say were tough to measure. It was just one of those one of those little incremental things. Um, like we have a list of like ten or twelve, I think, that we had put together of like potential ones to sponsor and. It's tough to generalize a learning from that. Like we did three, and if they didn't, if they didn't drive a ton of referrals, it's like it doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that the next three that we tried wouldn't drive more. You know, because every audience is a little bit different. So it's it's one of those channels that's like difficult to say. Like we tested with three, and now we can now we can make a general have a general opinion about how well podcast ads perform. You know, we might end up doing that, but also like we have seen some some interesting results from running some Google search ads, actually. So there was um, sort of a little marketing, co- co-marketing arrangement we had with one of our, uh, one of the, the platforms that we integrate with. And as part of the deal, they had invested like $1,000 into Google ads, like an experiment a couple of months ago. And when we kind of looked back on the data from that, we found decent cost per click on some specific keywords, which was not totally expected. We were sort of surprised by that because generally like the rule of thumb is like you have to be charging a certain amount for Google ads to even work economically. And that's probably going to be the next paid acquisition uh, channel that we experiment with is running some like search ads and see how that performs. Yeah. Sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'll be interested to hear your update on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> is that it this week? I think that's it for me. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's the show. That's the show. You can find it at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. See ya.